Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Due to a mix-up, last week's show got lost, and unfortunately a rerun was aired in its stead. That program is uh, apparently available on the KDVS website. Well, we will certainly have it up on our own, radioparallax.com. But we're in a bit of a dilemma here in that segment two featured an interview with Norman Corwin, the legendary radio producer and writer. Uh, We think that was such a fabulous interview and so topical, given the fact that an Oscar was awarded on Sunday to the makers of On a Note of Triumph, The Golden Age of Norman Corwin. That was in the short documentary, short film category um, at the Oscars. Uh, So we were really uh, right on top of things. And given that Mr. Corwin was such a great interview, we're going to play it today in its entirety. That will follow in our second segment today. We're uh, sorry to report that we actually had not seen the documentary. In fact, when I traveled to Los Angeles two weeks ago to interview Mr. Corwin in his home, he was the one that informed me about that. But in my opinion, an Oscar for a documentary about his life is just an, an epilogue to, uh, to the life of Mr. Corwin, one that has been lived extremely well. We didn't even talk about it very much. But at any rate, uh, please do yourself a favor, I think, and, and stay tuned for segment two, our, our rather lengthy interview with a legend of classic radio. And now returning to the program, uh, we're proud to announce, is America's foremost political comic, Will Durst. Welcome back, Will. Great to be here. How are you doing? I- I'm doing good, and you have now joined the ranks of uh, a radio talk show host. Tell us about that. Well, I got a little radio show down in, in uh, San Francisco. It's me and, uh, it's the Will and Willie show, me and Willie Brown, former mayor of San Fran. And Speaker of the House for 16 years, and uh, you guys know him up here. Oh, yes. Yes, we certainly do. And we're having fun. We're 7 to 10 every morning, Monday through Friday, and it's odd because a 4.45 a.m. wake-up call for a stand-up comedian. (laughs) I spent 32 years training for the wrong job. You mean you can't just pop out of bed and be funny? <laughs> it's not the popping out of bed; it's the going to bed at ten thirty or eleven o'clock at night that's right. uh, confusing me. Right. Well, nine sixty a.m. I'm sure a lot of our listeners, when they're cruising over to the Bay Area, are definitely going to tune in. I hope they do. And if they want to listen to the uh, the live broadcast on the internet, they can go to QuakeRadio.com, or they can just come see me at uh, the Punchline in Sacramento. And how about Arden? Well, we should point out to listeners, you will be there tonight, Friday, and Saturday, I believe. And Sunday. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Uh, I looked on the website here. You've got, some, you've got the 13th annual Will Durst Thank God for These Awards, and can you, can you give us a few of those? Yes. These are awards that I give out every year because I'm a stand-up comic, and, uh, of course, I need grist for the mill, and these guys are... I, 
I give out awards to the people who have been most gristy. And, uh, for instance, one of the awards is the For Crumb's Sake, Come On, Give Her the Money, She Slept With a 90-Year-Old Guy for a Year and a Half Award, and that goes to Anna Nicole Smith, of course. <laughs> and then uh, If They Were a Horse, We'd Have to Shoot Him Award, uh, that goes to the Democratic Party. Uh, the, uh, the Best Impression of a Sleepy Lizard in Search of a Warm Rock Award, once again, Dick Cheney narrowly edges out Robert Novak and Sam Donaldson. Uh, the Unclear on the Words in Your Name Award, the Federal Emergency Management Administration. The Most Important Man in America Award for the sixth year in a row, Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens's doctor. Uh, the Not As Dumb As His Hair Looks Award is a tie to Reverend Al Sharpton and Donald Trump. Uh, Most Likely to Find God Real Soon Award goes to Sco- Scooter Libby. Uh, the Shut My Mouth Award, another tie, Pat Robertson and New Orleans Mayor Ray Nagin. The Self-Control Award goes to George Bush for visiting India and not asking where all the teepees are. <laughs> and uh, those are the 13th Annual Wolders. Thank God for these liquid squeeze bags because I'm a comic ward. Well, well, you skipped one of my favorites, uh, the making a bad situation worse in a crowded field, New Orleans Mayor Ray Nagin. I like yes. that one. <laughs> That's true. Your, your 15 minutes of fame are finally over Paris Hilton. <laughs> Will Durst. That's wishful thinking. I'm afraid you're right about that. Will, we're, we're, we're glad to talk to you again. You'll be at the Punchline for a couple days, and, and I know that uh, uh, you're having fun down there in San Francisco, so I hope you can come and talk to us again soon. Uh, thanks for having me, boss. You stay out of trouble. All right, Will. All right. Let us commence the program as we like to do with This Date in History. On This Date in History, March 9, 1074, Pope Gregory VII excommunicates all married priests. On this date in 1831, French King Louis-Philippe, in part to rid France of foreigners, founded the French Foreign Legion. And on this date in 1974, Japanese soldier Hiro Onada, age 51, finally gives up the fight after hiding out in the Philippines for 29 years after the end of World War II. Onada did not know the war was over. All right, and our our quote of the day comes from uh, Mr. Larry Nation of the American Association of Petroleum Geologists. Uh, We talked about the book uh, by Michael Crichton on this show previously, uh, the novel State of Fear, a book in which uh, concerns over global warming are portrayed as overhyped and the product of a hidden agenda by a, of a conspiracy, apparently, of environmental extremists. Well, um, Mr. Nation uh, said about the book, it is fiction, but it has the absolute ring of truth. Uh, we'll, we'll return to the subject of Michael Crichton and his book uh, a little bit later. Our statistic of the day comes from the medical journal Pediatrics, which is that using alcohol-based hand sanitizing gels reduces the incidence of gastrointestinal infections by 59%. If you're not already carrying around a bottle of one of those little uh, hand sanitizers, you might now consider doing so. uh, Studies from the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta have shown that they really work. And from the Only in America file, we have the following. 
employees at Ford's truck plant in Dearborn, Michigan, will have to drive a Ford to work or park across the street. The new parking policy follows reports that the automaker lost $1.6 billion from its North American operations last year. And uh, actually, part two from the Only in America file comes this item. An overweight woman deemed too wide for a single seat on a Southwest airline flight is suing the airline for racial discrimination. Nadine Thompson of Massachusetts, who weighed nearly 330 pounds at the time, says she was asked to buy a second seat for, quote, her comfort and safety, unquote. Irate, she yelled at the airline staff, did you ask me to purchase another ticket because I'm too fat? Did you ask me to purchase another ticket because I'm a black woman? Southwest Airlines says the answer is no to the latter question and yes to the former all right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, last week was a good week for free enterprise after a Florida middle school teacher was charged with letting students buy their way out of gym class. Gym teacher Terrence Brackford, 28, demanded students pay him $1 every time they wanted to skip his class. Spokesman for the school district, Ronnie Arnold, said, It's not bad if you can make an extra $100 a day tax-free. And uh, a few weeks back, it was judged a bad week for not-so-golden parachutes after a potato chip factory in Wales laid off 250 workers and gave each of them a bag of chips worth 50 cents as a parting gesture of goodwill. It's bad enough being out of a job, said one worker, and this rubs salt into the wound. And it was an ugly week a few weeks back for Greenpeace after it was revealed that a glut of whale meat has prompted the Japanese government to start serving school kids whale meat burgers. In fact, according to the UK-based Whale and Dolphin Conservation Society, dogs in Japan are enjoying whale meat dinners. Japan catches more than a thousand minke whales a year, as well as smaller numbers of other species, but demand for the meat has fallen. So websites are now selling surplus meat as dog food. And that is, we think, pretty ugly. And we have some follow-up on a previous ugly story that's taken, I guess in a manner of speaking, a turn for the better. Uh, the Washington Post noted last month that it's a rare thing for the biography of a 24-year-old NASA spokesman to attract the attention of the national media, but that's what happened when George C. Deutsch tendered his resignation. It turned out that Mr. Deutsch had lied about his non-existent undergraduate degree from Texas A&M University. The week before that, the uh, New York Times had exposed Mr. Deutsch as one of several White House-appointed public affairs officers at the agency who had tried to prevent senior NASA career scientists from speaking and writing freely, especially when their views on the realities of climate change differed from those of the White House. It was Mr. Jo it was Mr. Deutsch who prevented reporters from interviewing James E. Hansen, the leading climate scientist at NASA, 
telling colleagues he was doing so because his job was, quote, to make the president look good, unquote. Mr. Deutsch also instructed other NASA scientists to add the word theory after every written mention of the Big Bang on the grounds that the accepted scientific explanation for the origins of the, of the universe, quote, is an opinion, unquote, and that NASA should not discount the possibility of, quote, intelligent design by a creator, unquote. The Post noted that the spectacle of a young political appointee with no college degree exerting crude political control over senior government scientists and civil servants with many decades of experience is deeply troubling. More disturbing, the article noted, was the fact that Mr. Deutsch's attempt to manipulate science and scientists, although unusually blatant, was hardly unique. The administration's efforts to spin scientific data and and muzzle scientists is something we've talked about. You've heard about in other public affairs uh, uh, programs on this station, and and by all means, we will continue to talk about it. Is uh, it is a really it's a national disgrace. All right, we have uh, three items, uh, three related items that I wanted to tie together. I'm meaning to get to these for some weeks, but uh, you may have noticed. Uh, in January, the news, the, the highly touted news, that Chevron, Chevron Corporation, was reporting the highest profit in its 126-year history. Now, we're not the sort of folks who believe that is necessarily bad in and of itself. It just depends on how you make the money. Uh, we, would, we would like to note that the Sacramento Bee editorial of February 16th uh, sounded off on, well... In the wake of President Bush, referring to the fact that America is addicted to oil, the B noted that uh, the president didn't mention that the drug barons, in this case, the large oil companies, are getting a very sweet deal when they extract oil from federal lands. In many cases, they pay no royalties to the federal treasury, even when oil tops $70 a barrel. It's because of such deals the U.S. Treasury will will forego about $7 billion in potential royalties on $65 billion worth of oil and gas pumped from the Gulf of Mexico and other federal territories over the next five years. It should be noted that the federal government typically charges energy companies a royalty of 12 to 16 percent for the sales price value of oil and gas pumped from federal lands. But in 1996, Congress, in its wisdom, passed the Deep Water Royalty Relief Act, which relieved oil companies from paying royalties when pumping in certain areas as long as oil stayed below a certain price trigger. The B noted uh, that for reasons that are unclear, possibly the clout of the petroleum industry, they put in, in brackets with a question mark, the law was clumsily written, which allowed oil companies to claim that Congress did not intend the Interior Department to set price triggers for deep water leases awarded between 1996 and 2000. As a consequence, even though when they enacted this law, the price of oil was half what it is now, the price triggers have not in fact kicked in in the meantime. So in an era of ever-expanding gigantic budget deficits, in an era where Chevron is now spouting the largest profit in 126 years of its existence, You and I are going to make up the difference when it comes tax time. The third item of this trio, and by far my favorite, is the following. 
Exxon Mobil Corporation, this is a, a dateline January 28th, Exxon Mobil asked a federal appeals court to reduce a judge's $4.5 billion punitive damage award to, <laughs> they want it reduced to $25 million for the catastrophic 1989 Exxon Valdez oil spill, arguing that the company has been punished enough by having to pay billions in cleanup costs, compensation, and a criminal fine. Yeah, don't you wish you could be a fly on the wall when the lawyers are all getting together on that one? They're saying, geez, we think that $4.5 billion is, is just out of line. Well, what do you think would be fair? Cutting it in half? No, we think you should cut it more than that. Cutting it, cutting it to one-sixth? No, keep going. Cutting it by one-thirtieth? No, no, keep going. How about if we cut it by a factor of 180? Now, that sounds just about right. Yes, apparently Walter Dellinger, lawyer for the nation's largest oil company, had told a panel of the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals that um, harm in the case of this oil spill was largely avoided by Exxon's cleanup and early payments to many plaintiffs. As you may recall, the Exxon Valdez disaster was the worst oil spill in United States history. 11 million gallons of crude oil poured into Alaska's Prince William Sound in March of 1989, and it fouled 1,300 miles of beaches and surface waters. Apparently, Dellinger argued that the spill had been entirely accidental and had not resulted from any cost-cutting by Exxon. He said the company's conduct wasn't nearly as reprehensible as the torture allegations against former Philippines President Ferdinand Marcos in a suit by his victims that resulted in $1.2 billion in punitive damages. Now, if I'm to understand their, their argument uh, correctly here, the argument made by the lawyers for ExxonMobil Corporation, because this was not intentional, <laughs> and because in some ways the crime is of a lesser stature to that of those committed by the dictatorship in the Philippines, they're entitled to a cost reduction. To that, I would just add, did you know that the oil companies do not double hull all of these tankers because it would cost at the gas pump about one penny a gallon? So to save that penny a gallon and keep it, in essence, what happens is these companies drive around the world's oceans with giant tankers that just, when they rupture, they just spill open and spill their guts out onto the, uh, onto the world's seas. Well, I'm certainly no economist, but it does seem to me that $4.5 billion is not all that much when you compare to the fact that Chevron, the San Ramon-based oil giant, reported a net income of $4.14 billion in the last three months of 2005. What do you think, dear listeners? Send us an email to info at radioparallax.com. And uh, the controversy over uh, secondhand smoke has been revived with the passing of Dana Reeve, the widow of paralyzed Superman actor Christopher Reeve. Uh, Dana Reeve passed away on Monday of lung cancer, even though she was not a smoker. Dr. James Molshine from the Rush University Medical Center in Chicago noted that 10 to 15% of people who develop lung cancer are thought to be non-smokers. 
but it was said that she had, in the course of being an entertainer, spent a lot of time in pubs and in nightclubs in which there's quite a bit of cigarette smoke. While 90% of lung cancer is directly linked to smoking, the other 10% is tied to occupational exposure, radon gas, and secondhand smoke. Let's, uh, let's take a little visit uh, south of the border uh, to talk about goings-on down in Mexico. The LA Times reported last month that weapons sold legally in Texas are flowing into Mexico, where they are sold to drug dealers, organized crime members, and other criminals. In Mexico, the sale of guns is tightly controlled, and a license to own a gun costs $1,900. Things may be changing south of the border. We noted a January 28th uh, article in the San Francisco Chronicle about a shootout in Acapulco. Apparently, Mexican authorities got into a shootout with, uh, with apparently with drug traffickers. At least four people, possibly federal police officers, were killed. There seemed to be some uncertainty at the time over the, identifier, uh, the identity of the people shot because in Mexico, kidnappers and drug smugglers regularly wear police gear, which is sold at street stands. The shooting took place in Acapulco's popular Garita neighborhood. Now, relations between the U.S. The US and Mexico are a bit strained at the moment. Uh, in, in the wake of the fact that, um, that American officials attempted to override Mexican law last month and succeeded. We mentioned this story that apparently uh, that U.S. energy officials, uh, uh, energy executives, were meeting at the Sheraton Maria Isabel in Mexico City with 16 Cuban energy officials. The Sheraton kicked the Cubans out after uh, the manager said that the U.S. Treasury Department had warned him that he was violating the Helms-Burton Act, which forbids U.S. companies from providing goods or services to Cuban nationals. Now, uh, the problem with that theory is that Sheraton's Mexico branch is a Mexican company and operates under Mexican law. Helms-Burton is not a Mexican law. Of course, on the other hand, we reported on Mexico's breathtaking political corruption uh, on numerous occasions, uh, most recently the fact that uh, in spite of Mexico granting absentee ballots to the four million people, uh, four, four million registered Mexican voters living abroad, mainly in the U.S., when a push came to shove, fewer than 57,000 Mexicans living outside the country got absentee ballots thanks to restrictions put on the system. But even in a land of world-class political corruption, this item uh, caught our eye. February 18th, Dateline Mexico City. Mexican federal officials have concluded that the numerous slayings of women in the border city of Ciudad Juarez in the past decade were not the work of a serial killer, and the city is not even the most dangerous in Mexico in terms of women's homicides. The final report stated that the 379 women killed in Juarez since 1993 lost their lives for diverse reasons, ranging from sexual and intra-family violence to revenge and robbery, but their deaths were probably not the work of a serial killer. The report contended that 221 women were killed in Juarez from 1991 to 1999, while in the same period in the city of Toluca, 603 were killed. This report from the uh, Mexican Attorney General's office drew immediate criticism from women's advocates. Esther Chavez uh, termed the report shameful, 
and a mockery. All right, let's try to go out on a cheerier note. Uh, all right, item from Hungary. Imre Horvath, a farmer in Debrecen, Hungary, has found a Stradivarius violin hidden above his chicken coop. He believes his musician father, Zoltan, hid it there before going off to fight in World War II. Zoltan, unfortunately, was killed in the war and never revealed its location. Said Imre Horvath, I was delighted but then terrified because I have nowhere I can keep the violin in my little house. I just want to sell it and put the money in a bank. Then I can relax. It so happens that only about 650 genuine Stradivarius violins are believed to exist today and recently one sold for more than $1 million. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm Douglas Everett. In our second segment today, we're going to air that fabulous interview we recorded in Los Angeles two weeks ago with Norman Corwin, a man right out of the broadcasting textbooks. (laughs) 